when we talk about amazing grace, like we just sang about um, at the end of our worship set, right? We sang the words amazing grace, and it's neat because even if you're outside of Christianity, you go to other countries, etc., like this is the one song that so many people know. They know these words. We're going to kind of talk about what that means, what it means, amazing grace. Um, last week, we looked at the story of Tamar, right? And we looked at how God can exchange our disgrace for his grace. Um, and so this week, we're going to kind of move forward and look at what this grace is. Because um, you guys, in Christianity, Catholic Church, you know, Sunday school, we hear this word grace a lot. Right? Anybody heard? Like, God gives us his grace. Right? But then when it comes to actually knowing what grace is and really understanding what that means for our lives, we're kind of like, and so, you know, if I say, like, what is grace? What does it mean? A lot of times, students, when I'm sitting with them one-on-one, they'll, like, give me a blank stare back. Or they'll do, uh, the Bible say, Jesus. Yeah, but, what, you know, like, how does that connect with your life? And why, how does it impact you? And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because um, Jesus. Yeah, why? Because Jesus. Okay. So Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believe. So that means if you believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, God saved you by his grace. And you can't take credit from this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. Right? So, is salvation a reward for the good things we've done? No. So if I ask you, why are you going to heaven? And you say, because I'm, and then you list any good things you've done. Is that the right answer? No. Right? Right? Salvation is not because we've done good things. It's not even because we've not done as many bad things as other people, because we've all done something wrong at some point in our life, right? Salvation is a gift, right? It's a gift from God. He gives it to us, and we don't do anything to deserve it, right? And so an example of that, like you guys, you've been through B class, you've heard of this, but I thought it's like helpful, and I like being reminded of things I already know, because I don't know about you guys, but at this point in the semester, it's like not in my brain anymore. So we reminded. So here's a gift, right? Oh, you shouldn't have. Right? Yeah. And so on your birthday, who gets present? Yeah. Right? Yeah. On your own birthday, you get presents, right? Now, what did you do to the birthday presents? Nothing. <laughs> you were born. You, you were born, right? right? Right, okay, so on that day, in the delivery room, when you were born, who did the work? Jesus. Okay, there was a little bit of, like, the breath of God, right? In life, um, that started, you know, earlier in the week. Um, so, like, God did some work. The doctor maybe did some work. The dad maybe did some calming work, right? Like, nice nurse, they're like, uh, but who did most of the work? Mom did work, right? So on your birthday, who should get presents? Mom. Mom. Mom doesn't get presents, right? You get birthday presents. They are not earned or deserved. You just get to get They're fighting over empty bags. But it's a pretty empty bag. It's such a pretty empty bag. It's lovely. So, on our birthday, 
We get presents. We don't earn or deserve it, right? Maybe mom earned or deserve it. So Mother's Day this year, give her an extra good card, right? Give her some flowers, some chocolate, whatever it is she likes. But, um, on your birthday, you get presents, and you didn't really do anything to deserve that. And I think that's a really good picture of grace. And how God extends it to us. Because it's like, there's nothing, you guys, there's nothing we can do to deserve this grace. Not one thing. There's nothing good enough that God would be like, oh, she deserves my grace. No, nothing, right? We're all going to fall short. But he, he extends it to us anyways. And it's just a free gift, right? And so, like, what do you do with the gift, right? When somebody hands it to you, what do you do? You just take it, right? You just take it. That's it. That's it. You have no part in it. It's just really good. Um, so Romans 3, 21 through 25, and this is the bad good news. Cool? The bad good news. Um, it says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's the bad, right? Yet, here comes the good. In his grace, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood, right? So the bad side of this news is that we've, we've all sinned. Right? And sin is like the, you know, $10 church word for like, we've done bad stuff. <laughs> cool. We've all sinned. So we fall short because God's perfect and holy. And really, we're like, yeah, I've sinned. But if you think about it, to God, nothing is worse than sin. Like, nothing. Nothing is, is worse. Nothing um, separates us. Like, there's nothing worse than sin. Right? So that's a problem. Because then we have sinned. We can't be with this holy, perfect God. Yet, in his grace, he makes us right through Jesus. And what Jesus suffered on the cross when he died for us, right? And then he didn't stay dead. Three years later, he rose again. So, we know that like, we have that victory when we trust on Christ. Is that okay? Okay. So, like, what it... We read that, but then, like, what does grace mean? Like, if we look at the Greek, what does grace mean? It means this. Favor disposed to... Leaning towards to share benefit. So, grace is like literally God's leaning into us to share himself with us. And I think that's pretty cool, right? Um, it's not just like this happy word or this pretty song. It's like the God of the universe who's in heaven leaning towards humanity saying, I'm going to share my goodness with you. Um, so, to kind of like tie it back to last week and then connect and go forward, we talked about disgrace, right? And how God exchanged our disgrace for grace. So disgrace is the opposite of grace, right? Disgrace is the opposite of grace. Grace is love that seeks you out, even if you don't give in return. Grace is being loved when you are or feel unlovable. Grace has the power to turn despair into your soul. Grace listens, lifts up, cures, transforms, and heals, right? Grace is pretty good. Grace is pretty good. Um, disgrace destroys, causes pain, deforms, and wounds. It alienates, isolates. Disgrace makes you feel worthless, rejected, unwanted, and repulsive. To our sense of disgrace, God restores, heals, and recreates through grace. 
So in those places in our life where we have disgrace, be it from our own sin or something that happened to us, God comes with his grace and he literally recreates. And that's how um, God heals. He recreates through his grace. So a good short definition, and this is from that book that I talked about last week, Written My Disgrace by Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. Super great resource. But they say this, a really good definition for grace is one-way love. The opposite of assault, which we talked about last week, which is one-way violence, right? Grace is one-way love. One-way love does not avoid you, but comes near. It's not because of personal merit, but because of your need. It is a lasting transformation that takes place in the human experience. One-way love is the change agent you need for sin and pain you've experienced, right? And I think that's, like, really important. And so that's kind of why I'm saying it in a million different ways. But grace is one-way love, right? We don't do anything. We don't have to. It's just one way. Um, and I think I really like that even though their book is talking to people who have gone through sexual assault, like one-way violence can apply to a lot of things or one-way hurt, right? Um, in our life, like a lot of times when we receive things one way, it's not good, right? It's hurtful or painful. But God, in the one way he treats us is, is his love, and that's his grace. Um, so sin and the effects of sin are similar to the laws of inertia. Anybody know the law of inertia? Right? Okay. A person or object in motion will continue on that trajectory until it's acted upon by an outside force. So when we're in sin, it's like the law of inertia. We're just going to kind of continue rolling down that hill of sin until we're acted upon by an outside force. So we need Jesus to come and be that outside force in our lives. This is also why things like self-help don't work, right? Um, and a lot of times if you're struggling with sin or you've been through a traumatic experience, like what we talked about last week, like there's all this self-help stuff, right? Like Barnes & Noble... I love to hang out at the place, but it's chock full of self-help books. Um, and self-help doesn't actually work, and that's why. Because if you're devastated by sin, right, and then you're like, I'm going to help myself, and then you fail at helping yourself, right, it's only going to create a snowball effect of shame, which is just going to keep you rolling with that inertia. Um, so hurting people and like work. We're in sin, we're all hurting. You know, whether something traumatic's happened or not, when you're in sin, you're hurting a person. Hurting people need something from the outside to stop the negative spiral. Fortunately for us, grace floods in from the outside at the point when hope to change oneself is lost, right? So even when we try to fix it on our own, like, we get there, and at some point we realize this doesn't work, right? But, like, with Jesus, it stops that continual, continual downward spiral. Um, and we were like, I can't change myself, man, but God can change us. Um, Grace declares and promises that you'll be healed. One-way love does not command, heal yourself, right? But instead, it says you'll be healed. And uh, there's a promise in Jeremiah 17, 14. It's not going to be up there. Um, but it says, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my grace. Um, and that's a promise for us, though, like God offers us healing. Um, so, how do you receive grace and be rid of disgrace? With the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, you can do this. And I love, this, this is kind of like from their book, but they explain it this way. 
Between the bookends of creation and restored creation is the unfolding story of redemption. Biblical creation begins in harmony, unity, and peace, or like the Hebrew word for that is shalom, right? Peace. But redemption was needed because tragically humanity rebelled and the result was disgrace and destruction, the vandalism of that shalom, peace. But because God is faithful and compassionate, he restores his failed creation and responds with grace and redemption. This good news is fully expressed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in its scope as far as the curse is found. Jesus is the redemptive work of God in our own history and in our own flesh. Right? And so that's like probably the best I've ever heard somebody put the story of the Bible into like one short paragraph. Right? But like really the world was created and it, and it was peace. Like Adam and Eve in their garden it was peace. But because of sin, like that peace was destroyed, and so we need Jesus to come restore it. Right? And we aren't going to have it apart from him. We just can't get there on our own. Um, Martin Luther describes this good news this way. God receives none but those who are forsaken, restores health to none but those who are sick, gives sights to none but those who are blind, and life to none but the dead. He has mercy on none but the wretched and gives grace to none but those who are in disgrace. So that's what God does, right? He sees the people that are poor, are hurting, are lost, are lonely, you know, and, and he meets them. And we even see that in the life of Jesus if you read through the Gospels, right? Like, who was he always hanging out with? Man, he was with, like, the sinners and the tax, tax collectors and the prostitutes. And the religious guys are like, what are you doing? And he's like, man, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do, right? And so, like, when we have a moment where hurting or we're sick or we're in need, like, man, that is exactly the time that the Lord is, like, looking to come to us and bring that restoration and pour his grace into our lives. Um, so as I was kind of praying about this, because you guys, like, a lot of times when I'm in a teaching path, I'll just, like, let you know how Jackie works for a little bit, okay? It's usually something that I've been studying in the Bible, and, like, so there's, um, there's, like, the story and what the Lord has shown me through it, right? Or, like, the passage and what the Lord has shown me through it. And, like, for whatever reason, this time, as I started to pray, like, what should I teach? Like, the Lord gave me three topics. I'm like, I don't ever, like, go at the topic and then plan a thing, right? Um, but this time, that's kind of how we ended up with this. Like, this grace, amazing grace. And then you can wait and see. Um, but, like, but so I was like, amazing grace, and I'm supposed to talk about what grace is. So I really had to sit um, with the Lord and, and ask him, like, okay, like, what do you want me to share? What do you want me to say about Amazing Grace, right? And, like, how do you want me to present this? How do you want me to explain it? Um, and what stories do you want me to use? And so it's it's really interesting because the Lord led me to this Bible story, which I think is, like, the one when we think of grace. It's probably the one, if I have to say there's one Bible story we're going to look at, you'll probably guess it, okay? What? Man, he started, like really speaking to me there. It's funny, because I was like, well, but Matt's, Matt's used that story somewhere. You know? but, but the Lord really started to speak to me there, and I think he has some truth for us, and it's cool, because we're going to, like, read it, and then we're going to look at half of it this week, and then we're going to look at the other half next week. Um, but it's the parable of the lost son, which is in Luke 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, because it's longish. It's not too long, but it's longish, right? Luke 15, and it starts in verse 11. Um, 
So it says, to illustrate his point, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. It's not going good for him. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. We sang about that. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. And his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Um, so this parable, there's a lot there. Like I said, we're going to talk about the first part. Um, and we'll talk about the second part next week. But as I was kind of like studying and restudying this parable, there's a book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. And in this book, he suggests that maybe this parable shouldn't be called the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, but the parable of the lost sons. Because um, we kind of have two sons on two different ends of the spectrum um, both of them are not quite right in relationship to the father, right? And so this week we're talking about son A. Cool. And then next week we'll talk about the older brother. Um, so we're doing younger brother this week, older brother next week. Um, but like, so this younger son, when he says like, I want my share of the estate now before you die. Like he's basically saying like, I don't want a relationship with, with you anymore. I just want what you were going to give me, and it'd be better off for me if you were dead. That's what he's saying to his to his dad, okay? Now, that's pretty bad, right? Now, put on top of that that this was happening in the ancient Near East culture, where, like, honor is everything. You treat parents with respect. You never say anything like this. Um, and Jesus' listeners would have heard this, and they would have realized that, like, A, it's shocking for the son to talk to his dad like this. But even more so, they would have been shocked that the dad, his response isn't like, 
I disown you, get out of here, son, because he could have. Like, he could have just disowned the younger son and been like, you're gone. And instead, he divides up his wealth, and so the son gets like a third of all the father has. And, um, and he lets him, and he lets him go, which is pretty crazy. Um, and so the son goes, and it, tell, it tells us he squanders, like, everything in wild living, right? Um, I'm pretty sure, like, we have imaginations. Imagine, like, all he did is basically one-third of all his family has, and like, this wealthy family, and, like, he wastes it all. And it says, and then there's a famine in the land, right? And he began to starve, um, which is really funny, because I think it's, like, such a good picture of, like, a kid who gets a lot of money, and then they, like, spend it all. Um, you guys, my kids. <laughs> like, for Valentine's Day, um, in a bag very similar to that one next to Anna, they each got, we got three cards, okay? Each child got a card. Inside the card from my parents was not just a sweet Valentine, but a $20 bill. Oh. And, and you know those sweet kids, like, they stopped and they read the card and they even thought over how cute it was, but then there was $20 Okay, and like, what do kids do? Like, this is an older son, but what do kids do, right? Like, before Matt got home from campus on Monday night, because that's when the cards arrived, two of the three grandkids had spent their money. Two of three, all of it. Um, and then the, the third one wanted to spend her money, but I said no, because she was like, going to spend it on something cool or ridiculous. I was like, that is a bad, uninformed decision. So we decided we were wait on it, sleep on it, and decide. Lo and behold, she woke up in the morning and she was glad she made the decision, right? But like, what did kids do? They get money and they let go, and it's gone. Um, but it's really funny because it's like as I've been studying this, we did that, and um, like so, you know, Thomas spends his money, Hannah spends her money, and the next day she's like, I wish I still had spending money so I could snack. <laughs> you're like, oh, this is like the prodigal son. Um, you know, and of course we like food at our home, which they always, maybe it was yesterday, so we're at church, they always want to go to the vending machine. I don't know why cheese it's in the vending machine. It tastes better than the cheese it's that are in my pantry. But like, the vending machine cheese it's, they want them. <laughs> like the famous Amos cookies, we have those at the house. But we need to get them out of the vending machine for much more than we paid for, like, a big box trip. Um, so there's something about that. But it was so funny because it was like, as she did this, I was like, it's like you're looking at this terrible and adorable, tiny, cute version. Because um, she didn't spend it while living, but she spent it on a stuffed animal. Which is like, so, I mean, you know, matching the size of But it's something that, like, maybe it was excessive and not needed. to reason it out in his head, and he's like, well, I'll go back, 
And it, if you really look into the cultural things, when he's talking about becoming one of the hired men, like he's basically saying, like, I'll apprentice under one of the artisans that works for you, and like I'll start to save up and I'll build back honor for our family. Like I'll, you know, he's trying to come back in a way that'll add honor. Um, but like as he's telling the father the speech, right, that he's practiced. Anybody ever rehearsed a speech, mm-hmm. right? Maybe a few people like this past week because they need to ask our Valentine's. <laughs> but he's rehearsed the speech and he's like, um, telling the father, and before he's even done with the speech, the father has embraced him. Like he's run to him. Okay. Like ancient Near East patriarchs of the family, they did not like pull up their room and like run that way. But the father has run to him and embraced him and like welcomed him back into the family. Um and so the son, he didn't deserve the father's welcome, but that's just what the father did. And it's like crazy because just as much as the beginning of the story, the original hearers of this would have been not so much shocked what the son did, that's disrespectful, but what the dad did. Then when they hear this father, he picked up and he ran and he just welcomes him back. Like that would have shocked Jesus' hearers and it should shock us too. Um, but what's really interesting about that is if we look at the word prodigal, Right? So let's hear the prodigal son. Right? Anybody ever heard that title for this word? Prodigal son. If you look at the word prodigal, this is what it means. It means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, always fully extravagant. Right? So this is what the younger son did. Or it means having or giving something on a lavish scale. Right? So not only was the son prodigal and that he went and he spent everything in wild living. But the father could also be considered prodigal because he's like lavishing this love. He's extravagantly welcoming his son back. He says, give him the finest robe, which would have been the father's own robe. That would have been the finest robe in the household. He's saying, put a ring on his finger and then kill the fatted calf. And this isn't a culture where like they didn't eat meat every day because it was expensive. And the fattest calf is like the filet mignon, right, of whole calves. I guess. Um, and they're killing the fattest calf, and they're going to have a celebration. And this celebration would have involved, like, the whole town. It, so it's not just one of those, like, kill the fat, fatty calf, like, we're going to, you know, we're going to go out for tacos. Like, um, no, like, this is like, they're, like, all expenses, all out, we're going to celebrate because the son is back. Which is not what he deserved at all, but man, that's what the father offers him, right? The way the Father recklessly lavishes love on him is is really important. And so the Father in the story is a picture for us of the Heavenly Father, right? This dad in the story is a picture of God the dad um, and how he loves us, right? And so in a lot of ways, we can be like the son, like maybe we're in wild living or we're just not where we need to be, but like either way, Father God wants to extend love in that lavish way that the Son was loved in the story to us. Um, and so, like from this, like you guys probably like noticed at the very end of the, the passage, he says, your brother was dead, has come back to life, he was lost, but now he's found. That's where we get the famous words of the song that we sang earlier, Amazing Grace, right? Um, and so we say, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. 
And, like, I think that's so precious because it's like, man, we may not all be the prodigal son in the sense that, like, we've, like, taken everything we can and, like, gone the opposite direction and just, like, recklessly spent it. But but really, if we stop to think about it, like, like, as a Christian, if I'm really honest, like, I've dishonored the Father. Right? Every single one of us in some way, we've probably dishonored the Father. Sometimes we dishonor the Father big, right? Sometimes I dishonor the Father because I'm driving down the road and somebody cuts me off and I honk my horn and yell at him and make a face, right? And it's like, is that honoring Father God? Is that acting like a child of like the most high king of kings the Lord looks at home? That's being funny. Right? And and like in a I think in a hundred ways probably every day, I dishonor the Father. Right? And he would have every right, every right, to be like Becky, you, you dishonor the family, like you're up. Great. But instead, Father God, like, offers us that reconciliation. He welcomes every single one of us. We're welcome to come to Him. Right? The Father offers us that. And, and He doesn't say, like, no, you're out. Instead, He adopts us into His family. Right? And so, like, whether or not we have earthly Father that's good and loved us well and whatever, we have a heavenly Father who, through Jesus Christ, wants to adopt every single one of us. Right? And, like, the implications of that in eternity, like, that means, like, when I get to heaven and I see God face to face, he's not going to be like, hey, you barely made it. Like, instead, it's like, I'm going to be treated as, like, a daughter of the king. What's a daughter of the king? Right? What's the son of the king? Right? And, and it's like, when we're adopted into God's family, like, we're part of the family. We're not just that person that, like, barely makes it in. Like, he loves every single one of us. Like, he's pulling us in and making us family. Um, and so God extends that grace to us. Um, in this story, it's really a picture of, like, God and us. And God's the one extending the one-way like one way love. And we're the ones that are hurting or sinful or we've disgraced his name, right? Um, but God offers that to all of us. And, like, so the beginning of all that is salvation, where we come to a place where we're like, man, I mean, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, right? So, like, grace, number one, is for salvation, that we can even be saved and have a relationship with God. But another important thing for us to understand about grace is, like, grace is what sustains us, like, day by day to actually do the life of living for God, right? Grace sustains us day by day so that we can, like, continue, right? Um, Because it's not like you pray a prayer and you're like, Jesus, I need you to come be my Savior and my Lord. Amen. And then, like, you open your eyes and, like, rainbows appear and unicorns hop by, right? And and everything tastes like cotton candy. No. Like, you pray the prayer and, like, Jesus comes in and he changes your life. You open your eyes and you're still in this world, right? So we need his grace to, like, live in this world until we get to the place where we see him face to face in heaven. So Hebrews 14 Hebrews 4, 14-16 says this. So then, since we have a high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So you guys, this is a lot in like three verses, okay? To me, like, this is one of my favorites. Um, 
favorite little like snippets of scripture because there's so much in these three verses, right? Um, so it says, because of what Jesus did, it's talking about the high priest, we could go into all of that, but we won't for sake of time. Um, but like Jesus is the Savior. He's died for us. He's risen again. He's seated by the Father, right? And he's interceding for us. Um, it says that this high priest, so that's Jesus, he understands our weaknesses, right? So if you're going through the life and doing the thing and trying to live for Jesus and realizing, man, this is hard, or I don't know how to do this, or this temptation, I just can't, I don't know how to fight it. I don't know what to do with it. Or this discouragement, this mindset, like, I can't break it, right? Because a lot of times we're in that self-help place, right? We're like, I'm going to not be discouraged. Like, I'm going to overcome. And you say, okay. Like, you know, my little Jackie self there is not, like, the powers that overcome, like, some of the things that I face. But it says that Jesus understands our weakness. It says he faced it all the same testing we do. Do you guys, Jesus, he he wasn't, he's not just God, right? But he's God that came through the flesh and he lived on earth. And he lived among, like, broken, hurting people who did broken, hurting people things. Right? And so they they broke literally and hurt him. Right? And he understands what it is. He understands what it is to be despised. He understands what it is to be rejected. He understands what it is to be humiliated. He understands what it is to be abandoned by everyone in the moment that he needs the most, right? Like Jesus understands our weakness. And so in this passage we know that like not only does Jesus understand, but we have an invitation to like bring that weakness to him. And approach the throne of grace, which, like, this is, um, like, Matt and I were talking about this a few years ago, but it blows my mind. Because, like, according to the scripture, when we pray, right, where are we? Like, according to the scripture, read it. Y'all smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you, I'm not going to tell you. Like, <laughs> Everybody looks stupid, so I'm like, we'll just make the brains do the working. Um, yeah, the throne of our gracious God. Right? So it's like, when I pray, and I say, like, Jesus, I need you, like, in this moment, I'm praying, like, Jesus, I need you, I need your help. Like, yeah, I'm standing in the view room on the third floor of the UC, but also, I'm standing before the throne of, like, the God of heaven. Right? And I, I know we don't think about that. Like, we think, no, I prayed for help, and I was in my car. Right? I prayed for help, and I was kneeling by my bed. I prayed for help, and I was in the bathroom. You know, like, we're like, I prayed for help, and we think, like, Field room, third floor, University of Memphis, University Center, right? But when we pray, when we come before God, it tells us that we're in the front room of God, right? So we're like literally before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we have the invitation to come anytime we want. I don't know what you guys know from like history about kings and queens, but like there's not open access, right? Like you want to go see the Queen of England if you like go buy you a ticket, right? If you do it right now on your phone. And you go to Memphis Airport and you fly over the, the sea, right, to England. And you show up at Buckingham Palace to the dudes with big hats. And you say, I'm here to see the queen. Like, I'm here, I'm going to see her. Like, are they going to let you in? No. No. No, they're not going to let you in. And she's a pretty cool queen. Um, but they're, they're not going to let you in. They're going to be like, we don't know you. But, like, we have this invitation in Jesus, right, that when we need help, when we need grace, we're like, I don't know how to do this life right now, that, like, it's an open invitation to the throne room. And I think 
at whatever point that really connected in my brain, I was like, that's an insane. Because I don't think about when I pray that I'm in the throne room of God, but like the Bible tells me when I pray, I'm like right there before God. And he hears me, right? He hears me, and it, and it says when we, when we come before the throne of grace, right, we receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. Right? So it's like we don't just come there and God's like, nah. No. Like when we come before God, he gives us the mercy. He gives us the grace that we need. Um, and we have that invitation, and it's like an open invite. So anytime we need it, right? It's not like, you know, your best friend who, like, maybe sleeps. <laughs> and you can't call them in the middle of the night. And, like Matt and Jackie, you, like, really need me. And, and, like, I love you, and I'm here for you. If it's four in the morning, like, call a bunch of times. <laughs> because I'm not awake. We got to sleep, right? God's awake. Anytime, like, we have this open invitation. Um, so it gives us grace to live day by day. Um, so we're going to pray. I think the two things that I really felt like we should pray for is, like, the first, if, if you're at a place where you're like, man, I just need Jesus' grace as my Savior. Or, like, that could be the first time, or it could be like, you know, Jesus is my Savior. I've been away for a time, and I need to help me come back. Like, that's okay, too. Um, so that's the first thing we're going to pray about. And the second thing is just, if you're at the place where you're like, God, I need I need you to help me to live in that continual place of grace where I can come before you and actually trust you to help me when I need it. Because um, a lot of times, like, man, we start well, right? We start well. Y'all, it's like marathons. Everybody starts well, right? And my mouth's one of You know, like, we all start well, but, man, like, we have everything we need in Jesus to not be, like, driving Right. So everything we need is Jesus to, to finish well. And so um, we're going to pray for those two things. Um, if y'all would guide Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you that you offer us grace. Jesus, that what you did in your life and then your death on the cross and your resurrection, Jesus, that it was sufficient and it is everything we need. Um, it's everything we need to receive your one-way love, your grace. Lord, there's nothing we can do to earn it, nothing we can do to deserve it. Um, but Jesus, you gave yourself just so that we could we could know you. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that you help us to understand more what that means today and to live in that grace.